0: Thanks for tuning in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast, your place for education and happenings for all things craft beverage. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner. I hope you obtain some value from our show because, as you know, far better it is to beer mighty things. Cheers. Welcome in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast. It's what you listen to while you brew. We are welcoming back our Ivy League friend and CEO at Spotlight Safety Incorporated, Corey Martin. Corey, what's going on, man? Hey, it's great to be back. Yeah. Good to have you back. Good to see you. Good to be seen. Life is good, man. Cool. Well, as I mentioned in our last podcast, we're going to do a series here. So um, episode 67, if y'all didn't catch it, was you know OSHA Awareness Part 1. Kind of an overview of uh, what's going on out there in the OSHA world. What you need to pay attention to today, we're going to dig into uh, PPE, personal protective equipment. Um, But first, Corey, you have a podcast of your own. What's that?
1: Yeah, so my wife and I do a fun little podcast called "So I Married a Scientist." So I'm a scientist by training. We covered that last week, and uh, she is not a scientist. So it stemmed from our long kind of road trips where you know we would pass something and she would be like, "Hey." what's the science behind that? And then I would try to explain it to her. And, <laughs> uh, she is, yeah, as you can see, you know, if you, if you listen to any of the podcast episodes, she's definitively not a, po- uh, not a scientist, uh, but we have fun with it. And you know, it's, it's a good challenge for me. I love teaching and uh, it's a good challenge to kind of break it down into terms that can understand, you know, uh, anybody can understand and yeah. uh, not just scientists. I think scientists have a, a problem of just only speaking to other scientists. And then when they try to go explain it to maybe the common crowd, it's, there's a big barrier there and I think especially you know with all of the the things going on you know in current events it's it's nice to be challenged to to be able to communicate complex science to you know everyone else so yeah it's good.
0: Was this kind of like a thing where she was like the way you speak about things we need to figure out how to kind of translate this into English you know?
1: Yeah so we were basically I don't know. I can't remember the exact. I think it was about trees or fall foliage or something. And she just kept asking question after question after question. And then, <laughs> you know, we were like, hey, this could be a podcast. <laughs> so we just started recording those conversations. And we don't do a lot of prep, uh, you know, leading up to it. It's all off the cuff. So it's really fun. And That's yeah, cool. it's cool. It's, it's good. It's
0: a nice little bonding for you, you know? Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. And then it's called "So I Married a, po- a Scientist." Yeah,
1: it's "So right? I Married a Scientist." It's on all we're- of the general podcast channels. Awesome. Um, we also have a website. Um, we're on a hiatus right now, so uh, the last episode um, was probably last January. Um, okay. But we're actually going to reboot uh, for season two coming up here quick. So
0: awesome, man! Keep us in the loop. I uh, I'm excited. I'll I'll go
1: back through and check them out yeah no we we cover a lot of diverse topics from you know buoyancy to uh, Mm. you know fall foliage and uh, you know the flu vaccine and uh, a lot of you know mosquitoes and all kinds of stuff and what is her job you know what's what's her deal she's a graphic designer and she has a a master's in divinity so completely you know other end of the spectrum is it's probably some good conversation that's that's cool no it's really fun yeah sweet
0: cool all right man well here we are part two uh PPE, personal protective equipment, in the brewery, in the distillery, in the craft beverage world, Uh, you know, workers in the brewery and distillery industries are commonly exposed to toxic chemicals, hazardous vapors, boiling water. So PPE is important. Um, It's kind of your last line of defense, and you know, as we'll learn, is kind of the least effective. But hey, it's a start. We got to start somewhere. So um, let's talk about it, man.
1: Yeah. No, I think you know PPE is one of those things that's now a commonly used term. I guess COVID has kind of made that a, a common term that everyone uses. Before if we had just said PPE, everybody would just have no idea
0: <laughs> what, what we were
1: referring to. Yeah. Um, but now that everyone knows what it is, you know, it's a lot easier to talk about. Um, you, you did mention that on the OSHA hierarchy of controls, it is the last line of defense. So it's you know considered to be the least effective. That's because it you know, is the the only control that's variable in terms of how it's used. Um, You know, if if the equipment starts to degrade or, um, you know, you have holes in your gloves or that type of thing, you know, it's far better to rely on, uh, you know, engineering controls and administrative controls um, if you have to have the hazard on site. So the other Mm -hmm. two kind of hierarchy of controls at the top are elimination and substitution. That's basically either not having the hazard at all or substituting Mm -hmm. it with a less hazardous Uh, you know substance or Mm. uh, chemical Um, you know obviously nature of brewing you don't always get the chance to not have those hazards or just you know high hazard portions of the brewing process you kind of have to have to work with and um, you know that's the nature of the beast so you know it's a matter of trying to put people in a position where you know they're isolated from that hazard using some sort of engineering control or operating in in a way that's you know putting them out of out of harm's way. So it could be increasing the distance from the hazard. It could be, you know, basically uh, using smaller volu- volumes of things. It could mm-hmm. be, you know, kind of, you know, whatever you can do administratively to, uh, you know, do that process in a safer manner. Okay. And then last line of defense is, hey, you know, this is, this is the hazards here. We can't really do much more from a process or, you know, engineering control standpoint, barriers, whatnot, you know, so we're going to start putting uh, PPE on you. So the most Classic PPE in the brewery is going to be, you know, good footwear, safety glasses, um, and then, you know, gloves for chemicals, uh, hearing protection. If you have ha- uh, loud uh, mm-hmm. machine uh, type operations, um, which is very common. Um, so that comes with the hearing protection program as well. Um, you know, some breweries opt to do the full respirator program and have either N95s or cartridge respirators. That's something that, you know. I've seen I've seen from time to time. Um, but yeah, it's just a, a wide range of things. You know, I've seen groups have different style of boots depending on the operations that they're using. Um, you know, the brewing industry uh I guess space is unique in that it's gonna be wet sometimes, it's gonna be dry sometimes, you're gonna have slip issues, you're gonna have electrical hazards, you're gonna have, you know potentially combustible dust that you don't want to, you know, have a static charge on your boots. There's just a lot that goes into, you know, selecting the right footwear. And, um, the, the groups that do it really well, will you know, reach out to a boot supplier and, and really have a in-depth conversation. Cause you know, they might have switch outs on waiter style boots for those, you know, really wet operations. They might have a more, uh, universal kind of, uh, boot. I always kind of start with boots <laughs> because it's the one that, uh, Know the employer tends to overlook, um, you know, because the operations in this at the site tend to require, uh, you know, a pretty specialized type of boot. You know, we didn't even talk about uh, composite toe or steel toe or any of that, too. So, there's just a lot that goes on in the brewery, and you know, employers don't typically supply those, they might do like a you know, $100 annual uh, kickback for, for boot purchases. Okay. Um, and I'm always just kind of on the side of narrowing down the selection because, you know, the, the employer is responsible for making sure that the PB is appropriate. So, narrowing down the selection to one or two different models, um, you know, give them the option uh, and then work with a boot supplier, um, you know, to to supply those preferred uh, models so that, that guys can get into comfortable boots that that meet the requirements of the job. And I,
0: and I think like on the Brewers Association website, don't they have like recommended brands or something like that?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they have there's a lot of resources out there. I definitely uh, encourage everyone to reach out to, you know, the MBAA um, just because, you know, it, it's not something that you have to recreate the wheel for. You know, you can reach out to other breweries, see what they do. Um, right you know there's all it's just you know it's unique in that and I've, I've had conversations with boot suppliers about this exact topic because of the number of things you kind of have to account for in the, in the brewery and oftentimes it just makes sense to have you know your primary almost covers everything boot and then switch to kind of more of a wet waiter style boot when you need to for those really wet cleaning operations or you know you're doing stuff that's just gonna slush around and I assume they're slip resistant. Is that right? Yeah. Slip resistance is huge. Um, yeah. If you're not in a slip resistant boot, then that's, that's certainly going to be a problem. Um, especially if you're navigating ladders or, you know, catwalks or, you know, anything that's elevated. And, you know, that's one of the challenges. If you just kind of go and trust your employees to, 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 go to their you know favorite boot shop or even you know Walmart and just pick up a brand of boots you're just not going to be able to ensure that that's going to hit all of the, the safety needs for your, yeah, for your from
0: from chemicals to staying dry to not slipping you know to you know crushable kind of thing you know right steel toe and such yeah absolutely
1: so is it mandatory that an employer provide this stuff so uh, an employer is required to provide all required PPE That is necessary as part of the safety program free of charge. So that's where the boots are tight, kind of in that gray area in terms of, you know, sometimes employers can't provide the, you know, entirety of a $250 boot. But what they'll do is they'll, you know, identify a model that's, you know, maybe $90, give that as a preferred option that would be completely free. And they give a couple of other options that, you know, they would give $100 towards um, if the employee opted for those different models. So that's one strategy that I've seen. But yeah, um, technical definition per OSHA is that it has to be free of charge to the employee. Okay.
0: Now the the wild thing, right? It's, you know, again, we, as an employer, we can do our best, or we, we can provide these. But at the same time, it's like the employee's
1: have to take responsibility and wear them. Yes. And wear them properly and make sure that they're maintained properly and inspect them before they put them on and, and all of that stuff. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a component, uh, that oftentimes will come down to, you know, everyone talks about safety culture, but, um, you know, there are definitely breweries that have, you know, just a no nonsense policy and it's, you know, everyone's just on board with, you know the PPE is part of the, the workplace. And and once you get there, it's a lot easier. Um, you know, I was in a couple of labs really early on in my career where, you know, it just wasn't very common to see people in the full PPE that you needed. And it was just a situation where, you know, because of the perceived risk of the work that was going on, there was a disconnect between, you know, what we were being told we had to wear, right. and uh, you know what the actual uh, hazards looked like. Now, uh, that sometimes creates a challenge when you know the regulatory requirements don't seem to align with the actual safety risks, and mm. it's hard to tell in a you know an at-risk employee who doesn't perceive that they're at risk because they've been doing it for you know X number of years. You always hear that um, you know that that there are risks there, and. Uh, that really comes down to communication and and the why and and yeah. the expectations. Uh, the other part of that that's really important is including those employees in the PPE selection process. And this is one of my big ones. I love mm-hmm. demo days. I love um, you know having employees get two or three different options and then having them select the one that works best for them. That is a that, much better yeah. way then hey here's a two dollar pair of safety glasses that we bought, you know, in a discount bulk package. Uh, you know, here, you're required to wear it. You know, that's not gonna go over very well.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, if they can pick it what
1: they want, it fits well, they like it, yep. they're more likely to to wear it yeah specific end. to you know safety glasses like everyone has a slightly different face shape yeah. there's a reason why everyone has different you know personal eyeglasses if you if you're an eyeglass wearer so you know it's really important to you know make sure that it fits your nose bridge well or you know it's not too tight on the temples and yeah. all of that kind of stuff because if you're forced to wear something that's uncomfortable, for eight hours a day that you don't want to wear, it yeah. is not going to be, you know, a good situation for anyone. They're not going to be happy. The stage program is not going to be happy. So um, yeah, and there are so many great options out there and, and they're not expensive. So, you know, you might be able to get that bulk plastic only hard plastic, really uncomfortable pair of safety glasses for maybe a $1.50, $2 a, you know, pair. Right. If you scale up to a, a nice, you know, rubber nose, uh, rubber ear, uh, kind of comfortable safety glasses that fits all of the, the requirements that you need, you you might be looking at, you know, four to six, maybe $7 a pair, yeah. um, which, you know, if you have 10 employees, the difference there is not astronomical compared to, you know, what you're going to be dealing with if you have compliance issues, because no one wants to wear your, you know. A safety. Yeah, and glasses. you know, and
0: also to your point there, you know, if you have 200 employees, well, if you're ordering those in bulk, the cost per unit is going to decrease anyway.
1: Yep. Yeah. And So as you know, as you scale and, and get larger breweries, then you can certainly start buying in bulk and, and getting even better deals on on the PPE. So, yeah. I mean, I just it, I cringe a little bit when I see you know groups trying to save you know twenty, thirty, hundred dollars on PPE just because you know it, it's something that those employees are going to have to wear every single day, and you know it just it doesn't make sense to try to skimp on that. And you know, as we mentioned before, you know, you have, you
0: know, these misses, these these uh, injuries that occur. You know, it's not like you have thirty minutes to predict it. You know, they just happen. So right, yep. You'd rather catch them with it on. And and I mentioned, you know, I had the one, brewery that had caustic in their eyes, and now, you know, they must have, glasses that they like because they wear them all day long, even while they're eating lunch. You know, that sort of thing. So,
1: it's important, as you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, uh, they it's have to fun- like them. Yeah, it's funny you mention that. Uh, it's great to have the PPE be comfortable. I have actually, you know, gotten to the point where I don't even notice that I have my safety glasses on anymore. And I actually have to tell myself, okay, I'm leaving the high hazard space. I'm I'm going to the break room. Let's take the PPE off now. So we're not, you know, tracking and whatever, but uh, yeah, so that, that's, that's true. After a while, you just get so used to it that, that it becomes part of just, you know, the job.
0: Cool. Well, all right. So we start at the feet. Let's go, you know, as we went, the way that this is kind of working out is nice, right? So we're starting with PPEs on the bottom of the hierarchy. So when we started with the footwear, so let's work our way up. Legs, clothing, you know, we'll make our way up to to gloves and, and that sort of thing. But clothing, like what is ideal for a brewer? Is it, is there some sort of like suit?
1: Space yeah. suit? No, I mean, you know, I think most of the time, uh, you know, because you have chemicals, um, because you have, you know hot surfaces and that type of thing, you're not gonna want a lot of exposed skin. So um, that's that's certainly one of the things that, you know, I would, I would recommend is a, is a good pair of, um, you know, heavy duty pants, um, just something that's gonna to hold up to the environment um, and provide some initial protection. You know, if you do get a little caustic uh, spill on you, uh, you can take those off and then, you know, run over to the, the safety shower, um, buys you a little bit of time. Um, You know, I think as you kind of move up, um, you know, the the shirts that I tend to want to see are long sleeve, though, you know, oftentimes you'll have some sort of apron or coverall or um, coat type um, PPE to put on top of whatever you're wearing. If you are using some heavy caustic or heavy, uh, you know, chemical Mm-hmm. Uh, hazard. Uh, so that might, you know, be a little bit more flexible. Um, you know, I, I certainly have seen, uh, guys, uh, in the brewery, uh, you know, with, with t-shirts or rolled up sleeves, it's usually because it's you know hot that day and they're they're running right. a lot of a lot of temperatures so you know you certainly have to worry about um you know heat exposure and all that as well um so if you start you know overloading on the, on the clothing and ppe you can kind of go in the other direction of of becoming you know hazardous just in that that realm as well yeah so it's brewing kind of like on a hot source. summer day you know right yeah i mean really. you, you don't want to yeah you don't want to put people into heat stress because you know you're you're unwilling to say, yeah, you can kind of roll up your your sleeves in this kind of situation because you're not using any caustic cleaner or anything like that. So uh, yeah, it has to be a balance. It has to, you know, adjust to the the process that you're doing Um, and it has to be reasonable and um, any, any kind of, you know, rationale that you're, putting into this policy should be communicated to the employees so they, they understand where it's coming from. You know, if it's strictly regulatory, you know, it's it's nice to say, hey, you know, my hands are tied here. It's strictly regulatory. We need to do this. It's it's a compliance. Um, you know, I'll help you out in these, these areas to make it, you know, as comfortable as possible. Um, but this is something that we really need to stick to. Uh, because if we have an issue, then it's it's gonna be something that's you know pretty high profile for us. So um and and usually employees, once they know that, are are pretty, you know, willing to buy in and and kind of join the mission. So it's just a matter of how you approach it and how you communicate it and um you know make sure that you're there to to assist them and you know if you can find a compromise somewhere else that makes life their life a little bit easier it's 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 pretty nice
0: nice all yeah. right so let's move up to the hands right so we got um we need to obviously protect our hands from you know chemicals um cuts lacerations abrasions um punctures and and chemical burns and that sort of thing so um let's talk about that
1: yeah so uh gloves are, you know, there are a lot of different types of gloves, a lot of different materials. Um, you know, I think the, the classic is the disposable nitrile kind of um, you know, I don't I don't like latex, but that's kind of the easiest for people to, to visualize. Latex just because of the allergy risk. Um, but you know, the disposable nitrile uh tends to be a good just universal glove that kind of have, uh, on hand, uh, for various operations. Um, I said universal there, they are specific to certain chemicals. So depending on which chemicals you're using, they might be able to penetrate those gloves a little bit easier than others. Um, but for general operations, it's nice to just have uh, those on hand for higher Caustic, uh, you know, if you have sulfuric acid type things, those are not going to be sufficient for for moving that material around. Um, a lot of the, you know, cleaning place uh, chemicals, those type of caustic cleaners are also not going to be great Um so you know, I always want to see a heavier duty pair of non-disposable uh, nitrile or neoprene gloves. Uh, those tend to be, you know, the ideal ones are kind of elbow length. Um, you know, to to the point about you know long sleeve shirts, uh, it's nice to have a little bit of protection from those gloves. So if you can get um, ones that go, you know, mid forearm to to elbow, um, those tend to be the the best ones. Um, now. You know, you do have to make sure that those are being inspected uh, routinely. Uh, you know, the, the thumb and forefinger gap tends to be where the initial crease and, and hole comes in, but they are, um, you know, they're, they're non-disposable so you can reuse them as long as you're washing and maintaining them correctly. Uh, the, the other glove that, you know, I'm you mentioned punctures and, and cuts and, and type of things. Any brewery that has a bottling line on site I really want to see at least one pair of cut-resistant gloves on site, um, if for no other reason to the you know for spill response because you know inevitably that bottling line is going to have an issue. There are going to be bottles on the floor, uh, and you just don't want you know to have people you know picking up uh, you know the glass without those. So you know you should yeah. be handling that remotely anyway in a spill response, but um, just you know a quick a quick pair of you know. Cut-resistant gloves can go a long way in that that type of environment. Very cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, all the stuff, too, you want to think, right? We got somebody working the mill, somebody in the cellar, somebody on the bottling line. You know, everyone's got a different task, and there's different gloves. There's different um, just items for, for each yep. space that you're in.
1: And then, I mean, then you can have, you know, general purpose, heavy duty gloves for, you know, lifting operations, moving things around. Um, you can consider thermal gloves for, you know, opening up, uh, you know, tanks as as they're, you know, potentially hot. So, yeah, you know, there are a lot of different types of, of gloves to consider. And, you know, it's really going to come down to the process as to which ones make the most sense. Cool. The one thing too, though, that I want to say is if you buy gloves, make sure they're in the vicinity of where they need to be used so i see a lot of like storage rooms with every kind of element of ppe that should be used in the workplace Mm. and they're clearly just sitting on the shelf because no one takes the time to walk out of the the space so it's like it's on the other side of the building exactly walk over there yeah so PPE is only as good as it's available and used. So if you make it hard for someone to find or hard for someone to access, it's, you're, you're not doing a very good job in, in terms of making it. So I just thought point of, at, point like, of use.
0: <laughs> you walk in on one side, you got your sneakers on, no gloves. You're walking to go get your boots on the other side. You slip, you fall, you cut your hand. Like... Yeah. <laughs> so, like a cartoon. Yeah.
1: yeah I mean, make, make it accessible, make it easy on them. Um, you know, they... It, Nine times out of 10, they want to be compliant. It's just a matter of helping them get there. So, Okay.
0: I don't know too much about respiratory protection. Um, So let's talk about that. I mean, dust, gas, vapors. uh, What do you like here?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of people are thinking about, you know, respirators and cloth masks and N95s and all that kind of stuff uh, these days. Um, There's a lot of... Misunderstanding about, you know, the capabilities of those products and and what they're used for. So an N95 mask is for particulates. So one of the things that I see wrong a lot is, um, okay, we have a, you know, potentially hazardous gas, we're going to put people in respirators. And when they look up or Google respirators, they see N95s and they say, oh, OK, this is a respirator. This will work. Uh, that's not the case. So uh, chemical respirators have cartridges that are specific to the chemical that is being used on site. And, and those are very specific. So yeah, just, yeah. A, you know, an N95 is is. Particulates only. So those are small dust particles. Um, they're commonly used in breweries because of the milling operations. Yeah. So dust in those environments, you can use an N95, uh, and it's 95 percent effective against uh, particulates. So is that's what the M95 means. That's what the that's what the yeah 95 is. It's 95 percent effective against particulates. Do they make an They make an M100. <laughs> yeah. So they do. So they have a P100. So P100 right. is particulate 100, and then cartridge respirators are like the fuller, uh, fast, uh, full or fast, full or half mask uh, type, and those actually have like the, um, you know, two ports on the bottom okay. that have the discs, yeah. and that's those also can do particulates. So you can have a particulate filter on them, um, but you also tend to have gas uh, gas fixtures on there as well so filters as well so that's where you get the dual particulate and gas mask uh,
0: interesting type. well for that type of uh mask you know what's the cost
1: on something like that so the uh, the, the disposable n95 respirators are, are pretty cheap but um the full face you know those those can be you know a few hundred dollars yeah um, the other thing too is that those need to be uh specifically fit test Fit tested to the individual so okay, not to allow um, any gaps correct so you know disposable respirators also need to be fit tested if you have a mandatory program but um, there tend to be more easy to use varieties and you can kind of access more um, so for those if you know i'm seeing those I, I tend to recommend two or three different options that way people with different face shapes will kind of be able to pick their the one that works best for them um, the selection for the full or Half mask um, respirator takes a little bit more time. and I would often just recommend that you contact a certified industrial hygienist. So this is a specialist who can actually do the fit testing and they tend the people who do this tend to have three or four different models okay. that people can come you know try and demo yeah before they actually you know make the purchase because hmm. yeah, they, they aren't cheap relative oh, to, to other forms of PPE
0: <clears throat> knowing what you know about masks and then this pandemic
1: like what mask are you walking around in right now during covid yeah so there's a lot of you know questions about this i don't recommend uh the n95 respirator for this particular operation uh, because you're not getting a lot of additional protection from an n95 respirator versus just the standard cloth mask. Um, you know very early on I was even skeptical that the cloth mask was doing anything because right. you know from a personal protection standpoint it's it's pretty limited I think you know it's pretty well established now that you know if you inhale uh, and you're exposed you know you're in the vicinity of viral particles uh, the cloth mask on the inhalation side isn't going to do all that much. Where it really helps is on the exhale um, for spreading it to others. So that's really where you're seeing the vast majority of protection. is more community protection, right. um, where it's going to trap the droplets that are containing the virus uh, from getting out and spreading. So, you know, there's not a huge, from what I've seen uh, yeah. in terms of the the studies, there's not a huge benefit um, from going, uh, you know, sealed respirator versus, you know, just a cloth mask covering. So. Yeah. And because of the seal, there are some potentially adverse medical effects if you have underlying conditions. So this is why the medical surveillance part and the medical uh, examination is required for a mandatory fit testing or a mandatory respirator program, because, you know, over time, you know, that can impact your breathing efficiency. And if you have, you know, low lung volume, or, you know, you're prone to if you're slightly out of shape or that kind of thing, it can, you know, lead to adverse effects. Interesting. So, what mask are you wearing? I'm just color. wearing a, a cloth mask. Okay.
0: Yep. Is it true? So, when you have some of these masks that are
1: fitting, if you have, say, facial hair that actually kind of compromises a little bit. Yeah. So, this is the really bad news for a lot of brewers because they love their beards. Yeah, um, and I, you know, and I work with breweries because I don't want to shave. So right. So to me too, man. <laughs> a, a mandatory respirator program means that you cannot have facial hair. Wow. Um, so that's not entirely true. There are certain very restrictive facial hair options for respirator yeah. use. And there's yeah, a big card about gaps. it. But yeah, it you know the hair will impede the seal and you're not going to be able to get the protection that you need from that respirator. So yeah fresh shave every use is is definitely the requirement for um you know respirators and you know if you want to get a sole patch you know you can you can make that work but that's about it so i guess that's like firefighters right
0: oh Being yeah shaved, yeah right
1: yep yeah if you uh if you see a, a bearded firefighter they they're they're not in the field anymore <laughs> he's, he is halloween yeah
0: <laughs> he's just uh, dressed up for halloween that's funny <clears throat> all right very cool uh, yeah, dust masks and all this stuff, uh, dumping grain, sweeping out trailers, clean the mill room, dry hopping, um, all these things. You got to, you know, you're inhaling. And then what, so, I mean, some of these particles, they stick to your lungs. Like, what are the adverse effects of breathing in this stuff over time?
1: Yeah, so it really depends, um, you know, on the particle. The, you know, some are going to be, you know, quite a bit more hazardous than others. Um, but OSHA does have, uh, you know, exposure limits on just generalized dust. So uh, the ones that tend to be the most hazardous, uh, you know, if you're using silica-based filtration units, that's the one that they're really going to start paying attention to because there are direct medical, uh, you know, implications of, you know, breathing in silica. Um, You know, obviously asbestos isn't really kind of a thing anymore. And it depends on your, it depends on your facility for sure. But, um, that would kind of be another option. Um, but yeah, so, you know, dust in and of itself, you know, has an exposure limit, but it's not, you know, as serious as if you have, you know, silica based filtration, I would say.
0: Have you dealt much with coffee roasteries?
1: I haven't, no. Cause they have, you know, from an insurance standpoint,
0: Uh, Many insurance companies do not like to insure a coffee roaster, I guess, because of diacetyl um, and some of the other, um,
1: you know, chemicals that are released
0: from the coffee bean during roasting.
1: Sure. Yeah, the other kind of airborne hazard, uh, and this would be more of the, uh, you know, it would take a specific review, but um, I see a lot of groups doing welding or uh, plasma cutting of stainless steel, mm. and then you're bringing in hexachromium, hex- hexavalent mm. chromium, um, which also has an OSHA standard or an OSHA um, you know, exposure limit associated with it, and that that's pretty low. So it doesn't take a lot of that operation to to reach those levels. Lo- so hexachromium is that that's five of something. Five of- hexavalent chromium is. Uh, Gaseous material that's released if you cut into or uh, weld the stainless steel, which a lot of the tanks are. Yeah. All right.
0: Moving on up, um, eyewear. I've seen you know as you mentioned before, a lot of these folks will just reach out. There's there's you know Facebook groups for the brewers, Pennsylvania. You know, hey, these are the, uh, this is the eyewear we have. Every time we try to use them, they fog up. They're not effective. And we're also seeing this now when say I wear glasses with a mask on, they're fogging up. So
1: you know are there there are styles out there that are better than others yeah definitely <laughs> there are a lot of styles uh i you know this is my favorite demo event is get you know four or five different styles of of safety glasses uh and then see what you know fits people's face the best um just because, you know, there are anti-fogging glasses, there are anti-fogging lenses, there are, um, you know, substances that you can put on the lens. Some people swear by, you know, Dawn solution on your, uh, mm. the inside of your, your glasses as a way of okay. preventing the fogging. Um, but, you know, it really depends. I, I always like to see, you know, lens cleaner on site. Um, it's one thing that I think often gets overlooked. Um, but then, you know, depending on the operation, if you're, you know, dealing with some pretty caustic material and, you know, you, you're you worried about fogging, I would go with a ski mask style safety goggle instead of the, you know, standard um, mm. safety glasses that you typically use. Those actually seal to your face and will prevent any splash from getting through. So mm. safety glasses are, you know, good for projectiles and they're rated against, you know, impact hazards and that kind of thing, um, they will provide some splash protection, but they're not, you know, bulletproof in that regard. So um, it can get around the sides, it can get underneath. Um, so in those cases where it's really, really critical, um, you know, where you're using corrosives that's going to, you know, do potentially permanent damage quickly, um, safety goggles are actually their preferred method.
0: As I'm laughing, as I'm looking at myself here in the, the Zoom, I put on these glasses, you know, when we started talking, but these are this is my office PPE. These are yeah. blue, blue light blockers. Nice. Um, yeah, I have a pair of those as well. Dude, they if I don't wear these now, I notice a difference immediately. Yeah, I notice it too.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, I, isn't it? I started wearing them probably a year and a half ago. And yeah, I recommend it for anyone who's staring at a screen for a long time. They, they yeah. do make a big difference. You might not notice it at first. You're like, what's the... What's you know, what's the big deal about this, but after wearing it for a while, you're going to be like, Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: I've been wearing them for about 10 months. And if I like, if I don't wear them and I'm working for an hour and two looking at the screen, like my eyes are strained, like they bother me. Um, yeah, I would definitely say, I think these help with
1: sleep. Um, and, just a whole slew of benefits. Um, yeah, eye fatigue is a real thing. And I agree with you about sleep too. If I'm working late at night and you know it's 10, 1030 at night and I'm not wearing my glasses, it takes me a really long time to wind down after staring at the screen for a little while.
0: Yeah, they say you shouldn't look at your phone. You know, basically, put your phone in another room an hour before you go to sleep.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. You know,
0: I don't know. You know, Tim Ferriss or Tony Robbins are probably the only people that would adhere to that. But, <laughs> um, But yeah, hey, these work. If you're at home, you can still have some PPE on man. Get your yeah. get your blue blockers.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's brewery, talk about. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say, and breweries have you know computers in them too. So, you know, having a pair of blue blockers might make sense there as well. That's it, man. Anti-fog and blue blockers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, let's talk a little bit about ears, right? Yep. I mean, we talked about decibel levels and the way you can test it, and I guess the question I have is, you know, you may not notice, you know, loud noises, right? And and they may not, they may not seem loud, but I guess over time, like even if they're not that loud, but over time, is it damaging?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the uh, OSHA scale on hazard rating is actually, um, you know, it goes, it goes up depending on the decibel level. So, um, you know, the the 85 decibel threshold—that's when you start to get into the eight-hour time-weighted average. So you can't be in an area that's, you know, 85 to 90 decibels for a full eight-hour workday without some sort of protection. That's really where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you go up in the scale—and I don't have the scale off the top of my head—but um, you know, as you start getting into higher and higher decibel levels, that allow allowance of time for exposure goes down to where, you know, once you're in, into the, you know, 120 to 130, it eventually it gets up to uh, you know, like 15 minutes, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's when you have to start looking at, you know, uh, this comes up a lot for, you know, airports and, and you know, the people guiding airplanes around because they're constantly exposed sure. to, you know, higher uh, levels of, of noise. And because of that, they're, um, What they're doing from a hazard assessment is trying to take the exposure from, say, 120 decibels down to 90 decibels effective with the PPE so that they can extend the amount of time that somebody can be working in that environment. They still have to make breaks and all that kind of stuff. So say, you know, you have a piece of machinery that is putting off 95 decibels and there's no way to put like a sound barrier or anything around it to, to muffle that, that would be the engineering control in that case. So now, you know, we we've eliminated engineering controls. We have to have somebody in that room um, for six hours a day, let's say. Um, And because of that, you know, you have to have some sort of hearing protection because you can't expose them to uh, 95 decibels for six hours a day per the 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 limit so what you would start to do is give them some sort of hearing protection that has a decibel rating on it so it basically says how how many decibels you can use this hearing protection to decrease
0: so and that's a nrr right a noise reduction rating correct yeah is that list that's listed on a package
1: listed on all of the products so you know if you're buying a pair of earmuffs or you're buying the in-ear uh, you know, plugs, those are going to mm. all have NR- NRRs that you can then apply to the decibel and bring it down. So that's how you do the calculation is, you know, how does this NRR impact the actual, you know, perceived decibel rating and then, you know, extend the time that they can be in that space accordingly. Mm. What
0: about like, do you know the decibel levels of say, like when you're out cutting your grass?
1: Yeah, there are great charts online that have, um, you know, just general decibels. The one I always use, is, I think, is the, it's either the dishwasher or the garbage disposal. Now I'm questioning myself, so I'm not going to commit to one way or the other. Um, but there's one that's like right at eighty, mm-hmm. and actually, I kind of want to look it up right now. Just so I'm, I would say it's the it. dishwasher. Dishwashers are fairly loud, and and now you know, I'm sorry, garbage disposals. Dishwashers are fairly quiet. Yeah, I guess it depends. It's not great because it depends on the product, but um, yeah, so it's got to be the garbage disposal.
0: We did get a dishwasher like last year in December, and that thing is quiet, and I highly recommend it. (laughs) It's awesome. Now, my washing
1: machine is extremely loud all of a sudden. I probably need a new one of those. Yeah. All right, so the average garbage disposal is 80 decibels. So that, that gives you a good barometer of anything above kind of a standard average garbage disposal is something you would have to look at as being kind of in that, that range of, you know, potentially needing some sort of hearing protection. So uh, pumps, um, you know, d- depending on machine rooms for sure. Even like, uh, it really depends.
0: is it like a, like a raised voice at
1: arm's length is basically like 85? Uh, right, yeah. It depends on your definition of raised, but yeah, sure. I, I believe that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, some, some breweries will have uh, pressure relief valves that will go off. Those can create some, you know, pretty high pitched, <laughs> uh, you know, hearing issues. So um, yeah, it really depends on, on the need. I think evaluating the type of hearing protection that you offer is really important. Um, and impacting you know how people communicate in the space is also important to evaluate too so it's the other end of the spectrum as well where you know if you put everybody in you know a a plug plus earmuff situation and you have a forklift running around well how are they going to hear the alarm you know are they going to be able to communicate hazards are they going to be able to you know communicate to do their job so you know there's a lot that goes into these selection processes and you know the procedures that kind of outline with them because you you want to make sure that everyone's on the same page about where the hazards are and if you're doing anything to You know, minimize that communication. That can also be something that's introducing hazards in the space as well. Do Do you
0: suggest that um, brewery owners learn sign language?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can't hurt, right? No, yeah. I mean, I don't know. No, I I, I probably wouldn't go to that first. But you know, hey, everyone's got their system, right? Absolutely. Um, But there are reasons why you know certain certain industries will have standard. you know, hand signals for certain things too. So, um, I, you know, I mentioned the, the airport kind of uh, navigator, I mean, all kinds of signals that they can do. And I have seen groups put in advanced signals or, you know, commands, uh, for forklift safety. Um, you know, those are generally (laughs) multi-forklift operations where you have kind of different groups working in, 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 you know, tight spaces, but it really depends.
0: What about fire? Like the uh, the decibel levels
1: of fireworks or concerts? I mean, that's got to be pretty harmful. No? Oh yeah, those are those are over hundred most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Like a a, a good rock concert is going to be, yeah, way above the the OSHA approved. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say a, a bad rock concert might be even louder. That's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a reason why a lot of the security guards at those venues wear hearing protection standard. Yeah. Okay.
0: Cool. Um, we will discuss some, uh, additional tips on a safe working environment on the next, uh, episode. We're going to talk a little bit about, we'll talk about respirators and documentation, forklift training, proper lifting techniques. I think we'll, we could dive into that, you know, wash station, the, you know, the shower space, um, but a lot of this stuff, right. I mean, this should be talked about as we mentioned, and, um, I think this should be something that you'd put in your employee handbook
1: as well. Yeah, I mean there are a lot of different policies and procedures to implement, um, and you know I certainly think safety program expectations should be part of the employee handbook. Um, you know whether or not the the level of detail on the the safety policies themselves are in there, um, you know I don't know, but at least a listing of all of the the policies and procedures that will impact you know that particular employee's uh, workday for sure.
0: Something else I meant to mention when we were
1: talking about eye protection, but uh, they want to look for like a Z87. Is that right? NC Z87.1. Yeah. Okay. That's one I do have on the top of my head. (laughs) I look at that standard a lot. Yeah.
0: Nice. All right. Cool. Um, Yeah. Select. Select properly. Have your, you know, get your folks involved. Yeah. Let them try it out. Let them pick it out. Um, You know, there's no point in having it if you're not going to use it or use it properly. Right. If you're
1: going to use it, store it properly. And uh, you know, keep them fresh, right? Renew regularly. Yeah, yeah. I think, and that's one of those things where you know, employees tend to have fun with it too. So it can be a good kind of team building day too. So um, you know, depending on how you use it, but yeah, Uh, maintenance is big. Uh, You know, if I see if I see groups wearing you know really scratched up safety glasses or you know, it's it's just you know, if you're doing things to impair your vision (laughs) rather than protect your vision, uh, you know, and the next thing you're going to do is take them off so you can see better. Right. Exactly. And they are no longer effective.
0: Cool, man. What else? Any other tips? Anything else you want to leave the folks with?
1: Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I, you know, don't historically see as being involved in the the PPE discussion, but I think definitely needs to be at least uh, mentioned is personal gas meters. Uh, And this is something that, you know, again, traditionally not considered PPE, uh, but, you know, you're in a space where, you're dealing with a lot of CO2 and you're, you know, entering potentially confined spaces that have potentially hazardous atmospheres. Um, and OSHA requires personal gas meters. Uh, they're called four gas meters for uh, hazardous space entry for confined spaces. It's part of the, the actual permit required to space standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to that, so a four gas meter won't uh, detect CO2 levels. So that's one of the things that I often see uh, incorrect with, with breweries is that they'll have a four gas meter, but they won't also have a personal CO2 meter. And the, the issue there is CO2 often becomes hazardous before can detect a drop in o2 so the the combination that i see most is i'll have a personal o2 uh, monitor and then i'll have a four gas meter but neither one of those is measuring for co2 and if co2 starts getting hazardous at five percent you're not going to see a drop in oxygen levels you know enough to set off your alarm so you're not aware that co2 is there unless you have a personal co2 meter with you and the co2 is everywhere obviously in a brewery so um, well even co2 is expelled from you know when we breathe right exactly yeah um although you know it would take a lot of people in a very very poorly (laughs) ventilated space uh to to make that that an issue but you know we have tanks of co2 uh you know throughout the brewery um the process generates co2 you know there's carbonation everywhere so um you know in isolated poorly ventilated areas um, or, you know, confined tanks, uh, it's very possible to, to get exceedances of those, those hazardous levels of CO2. Um, so, you know, definitely something to, to consider, um, as, and, and those kind of personal O2 CO2 meters, you know, those are in the, the couple hundred dollar range, the four gas meter that is required for permit, required confined space entry those tend to be quite a bit more expensive you know in the six thousand, yeah you can the the good ones are in like the the 1000 range wow yeah so and 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 the the calibrated and all that yeah
0: all right so for gas what i'm seeing is that you know they measure concentrations of oxygen flammable gases or vapors
1: hydrogen sulfide and carbon monoxide correct yeah so they're looking at uh, volatiles that are going to potentially uh, explode. So it's like the um, explosive limit element. Yeah. They're looking at you know, can I breathe? <laughs> is there enough oxygen here, or is there too much oxygen that I'm also contributing to explosion risk? Uh, and then they're looking at hydrogen sulfide and carbon monoxide, which tend to be in other industries the the primary hazards. You know, if you're digging a trench or you know you're you're right. digging a well and you're you're putting somebody down there. You know, H2S is definitely a big one. Uh, carbon monoxide in confined space is obviously a big one, especially if you have machinery around. Um, CO2 tends to not be on the four-gas meter. Um, right. You know, so it, it requires a separate meter for that. And I think that's one of those awareness elements that, you know, oh, I have a meter that surveys everything. I can just kind of go in. But um, depending on this situation, that may not be the case. Interesting. Well, I didn't know that. Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. What else? Anything else we didn't cover? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, when if you start getting into like hard hats and uh, active, uh, you know, construction zones and, and that kind of thing, that's kind of a different realm. Um, you know, we mentioned welding, but that's going to be more uh, welding specific. So I typically defer to you know whatever the the pro welder wants in terms of their PPE. Sure. Uh, you know, obviously they're they they know a lot better about what they prefer in terms of their equipment. So as long as they're meeting the the requirements there, I'm not going to make any recommendations that say, Hey, you know, you need this, this mask instead of that mask. If they're both, you know, accomplishing the goal, then then that tends to be pretty good. Um, But yeah, I mean that, that tends to cover the stuff I see the most. Um, I mentioned chemical resistant uh, aprons as a, as a possibility Um, if you're, especially if you're handling large quantities of corrosives. So the sulfuric acid uh, elements, but yeah, no, it really, it really depends. And, um, you know, I think as long as people are comfortable with what they're wearing and they're aware of when and how to wear it and how mm-hmm. to maintain it, that, that kind of covers everything. You know, I see a lot of groups that that have everything they need, but um, there's inconsistencies about how and when to wear it. Um, the other element, and this isn't always the case in, Uh, the brewing environment but once you put it on you have to take it off and depending on you know what is now contaminated on that equipment uh you know touching it at that point could could be an issue so
0: that's what i was thinking like you take off you've been working all day you get these gloves on you just clean the tanks now there's you know caustic or other chemicals on the gloves you take the gloves off and then um you know you don't clean them or or how do you is there a way to clean them properly so that when they're sort of fresh when you use them next or what do you do
1: yeah. So for uh, the disposable gloves, um, you know, as long as you're not, um, you know, getting a lot of contamination, you typically just hang them up, um, and you know you can run some chemical cleaner over them. Um, you know, there are some wipes that you can use, um, for instance, depending on what products that you're you know handling with those those um, disposable gloves, or sorry, non disposable gloves. Um, the disposable nitrile gloves should always be worn underneath those um, so that when you take them off, you have a, you know, form of protection there that you're not going to then handle the outside of that glove (laughs) with a bare hand. Um, Yeah. And then when you take those disposable gloves off, you just kind of fold them inside out so that you're not um, contacting the outside of those surfaces. Sure. Okay.
0: All right. All right. All right. All right, man. Well, is that it? Is that the uh, conclusion of episode two?
1: I'm, I'm sure someone's going to come up with something else, but yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. Well, that, that that covers you know the the nuts and bolts of you know a, a pretty comprehensive PPE program. Okay. So
0: yeah. All right, cool. Well, cheers, man. I appreciate you. I'm looking forward to episode three, or you know, part three on uh, basically creating a you know safe work environment um, for your employees. We'll dive into that. And uh, until next time, my friend. Cheers. Awesome. Cheers. All right. That'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. I hope you find this valuable. Please follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple. And while you're at Apple, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating. It helps us get noticed among the craft beverage community there. Thank you. Cheers and beer mighty things.